This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 58. Today on our show, from the Cincinnati Zoo, Jenna Wingate and Maura Meserly. There are definitely pictures I can look back at from, like, the 50s, and I would never want to be a zookeeper in those days. And people did their best, but, you know, you continue to learn and everything progresses, and so now zoos are, like, constantly looking into how can we make this better for the animal. Moore is the manager of Wildlife Encounters and Fun at the zoo, while Jen is the senior Africa Keeper. We find out how zoos have changed over the years, uh, what they're doing today beyond their facilities to help wildlife, what odd animals people try to keep as pets, and what we can do as individuals to help conservation efforts. And, of course, we talk about Fiona. Be sure to listen to the promo code at the end of the episode. As always, you can use that to save 20% on your next Cincy shirts or oldschoolshirts.com order. So let's talk to Mora and Jenna from the zoo. Cincinnati, Cincinnati, she came down from Cincinnati. Just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at cincyshirts.com in All the animals at the zoo are uh, are your friends, right? They're your pets, basically. <laughs> yeah, family. Family, yeah. Pets is a hard word because, you know, in our field, they're ambassadors. It's, it is a really different relationship than you have with your dog or cat at home because these are representing animals in the wild. Yeah. yeah. So there's a higher level of respect, I guess, than your dog or your cat at home. A different level. A different purpose, I <laughs> yeah. guess. They're, they're not for... I never thought of it as an ambassador, though, but it's like mm-hmm. what kids or even adults that come to the zoo and they meet that animal like that's going to be their assumption for what that animal's like yeah it's like the united nations the... of animals is yeah. that a bad thing <laughs> like, can that be a bad thing like if you have an animal that acts you know differently or or portrays a different stereotype than maybe what it normally would in the wild we try really hard that every animal who's in the zoo we let have the opportunity to show wonderful natural behaviors so it's not um, you're not seeing behaviors that they wouldn't have in the wild. It might look different in a zoo, but it's still things that they're adapted to do. Like, uh, do you have a yeah. jogger jump in the uh, p- the tiger or the puma cage, the, the cougar, and, and jog by like the <laughs> like a, the guy, uh, <laughs> like a mountain jogger? Yeah, the, the, the jogger that, that killed <laughs> the, no the idea cougar. What kind of question you're asking? Me. <laughs> I know. Dude, oh, like dude was jogging. Yeah. Cougar jumped out. It was only a forty-pound cougar. <clears throat> so it sounds like it was a baby cougar, and the guy. I think it was eighty. The pounds, guy. Yeah. It was really? I heard forty. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I trust you. Either way, the jogger <laughs> killed the cougar. He like what? choked him out. What? And Where did this happen? Him. Kenya uh, or somewhere? It was like uh, yeah. I don't oh, know. Was it Colorado? Not necessarily oh. Denver. Sorry, Colorado. Oh, was that a zoo? No, 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 no. that wasn't a zoo. I'm, I'm sorry. So, should I have read something before we started this episode? No. This is, this is just me <laughs> talking about animals uh, when animals attack. But that's a real, but. you know, that's a real thing that is an example of someone 
reading a story, and you, a lot of people don't know a lot about mountain lions or cougars um, or p- pumas, as they, you yeah, call them. Yeah. talking about like so, older women who like young women. <laughs> exactly. Jumping right out at this guy. That's what I was getting at. <laughs> but it is. Um, if that's most people's interaction with learning about wildlife, then that's the that is the importance of zoos, right? Zoos have the responsibility to to share the story that is outside of those types of encounters because it's a it's an important story to tell. And Maura's telling this correctly, but I do think it's really important too that we have these awesome relationships with our animals because, you know, we are basically in charge of their well-being. So this the more they trust us and the better relationship we have, the more the better welfare and everything we can give them. Yeah. So um it's definitely we want them giving natural behaviors and and give them opportunities for that. But I definitely think they turn into family because you're almost yeah. like in charge of their happiness and their health. So. Well, how, sure. how, how difficult is that to replicate like their natural habitat? Because I always wonder that when I'm in the zoo or the aquarium or somewhere like that, where it's like, does this, does this snake really think it's out in the wild? Like, and it might, like, I don't know that. I mean, is it, is it just as good as you can get it for being, you know, in kept, I hate that word in right. captivity. Maybe that's a buzzword for you guys, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. is that, so, do, do the animals like really like buy into, you know, that they're where they normally would be? So everyone is a product of their environment. You are experiencing a different environment than I am. Um, animals that are in human care are born in zoos. So zoos aren't going and, you know, bringing animals from the gotcha. wild, unless it's for a rescue and rehab program, in which case, you know, our zoo, we have a manatee release program. And so we get manatees that are struggling from cold stress or they're orphaned manatees. They come, they get healthy and then go back. But generally animals in zoos are born in zoos and that's that's what they know. Just like my life in Cincinnati is different than someone who grew up in Tokyo where right. you know products of different environments. So um with that though, the <laughs> I was just the, picturing like so if yeah. someone from Tokyo moves here, then you put them in a room with like a bunch of bright lights and a crowded, you know, like <laughs> a neon. So they feel like they know. here's your karaoke machine. <laughs> Enjoy your life. Um so I think it's it is our responsibility as um, not just people who are responsible for the well-being, but also educators that we want we do want people to know what the natural behaviors are, what the natural habitats like. Um, so we do try to replicate all those opportunities as we can. Jenna can speak better to this, but one of the things that we hear a lot of people talk about when they come to the zoo is they might say, "Oh, that animal, like that lion, is sleeping." What's what's why is that lion sleeping all all the time when I'm here during the day? Um, and if you have a house cat, you know that your cat you know sleeps a lot at home. So you actually are seeing a lot of what cats do in the wild. Jenna and I have the privilege of going to Tanzania together in Eastern Africa and seeing oh. animals in the wild, and that is. Um, Lions sleep a lot. <laughs> right, because yeah. they watch National Geographic. And do they sleep at night? That's... Uh, they can. Lions will... They... In the jungle? Yeah, well, the I'm, talking about, I'm talking about the mighty. The mighty, yeah. That's what we're getting at. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Okay. I was thinking. I, I gotcha. <laughs> yeah. For thanks, once, we were on the same Thanks, Josh, for yesterday. <laughs> <Nice. laughs> oh, 
Man, so they just wake up for their little uh, enrichment and that's it, huh? Back well, to bed for well, me. Well, they typically sleep between like 16 and 22 hours a day. So that's typical for a lion. And wow. I kind of try and point it out to people that, <laughs> I mean, if you had to run three miles to catch your food for dinner that night and there's a chance that you wouldn't actually catch it or get there or if you had to do it in a certain yeah. time, you probably wouldn't try in the heat of the day. Right. You aren't going to try over and over. You aren't going to take off running and just run all day hoping you catch something. You're going to wait for the right opportunity and then you're going to relax because if you, if you had to run to catch it, then you're using all of this energy that you need to save so that you can feed yourself. Right. So there are different animals, the way they hunt and the way they interact with, you know, their, their family groups or their solitary. They may not eat every day, so they're going to store that energy and hope that they do get fed the next day. Because if they don't for a couple of days, then... And plus, people are probably watching National Geographic or whatever. So their only their only video they've ever seen is like of a lion in right. action. Yeah, because so who would just, watch a right. show of lions right. sleeping for right. an hour? Yeah. They're going to show you the highlights, of course. Right, <laughs> might yeah. be relaxing. And that's the purpose of zoos too. Is that you know zoos zoos exist so that we can share wildlife with communities. It it is one thing to see animals on television and see National Geographic, and that's an awesome experience because you're seeing the highlight reel. Um, but it's not the same as seeing them in person and like making Facebook, eye contact. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're seeing your Instagram. Wow, this guy does all kinds of cool stuff. That's what he's, he's doing. Just hang out with me, you'd be like, he just eats fast food. <laughs> <laughs> he sleeps a lot. <laughs> so, anyway, so you're gonna take the easy way out. If you can get fast food, or you, you'd rather do that than yeah. probably oh, absolutely. make this elaborate meal. So I don't think too many animals are upset when they're like. <laughs> I got this for you. Like, here you go. Here's and your... sleep 16 hours yeah. a day. Goals. <laughs> yeah. But obviously different animals, lions, for example, do sleep a lot more than most animals. So if, if you see a lion sleeping, very normal. Lions do. That's Yeah. Natural behavior. That's wild. Well, let's take it back to how, d how did you uh, get to where you are now? Talk about the education, like for all the, all the little kids out listening to the Cincy Shirts podcast right now, <laughs> uh, how would they... Uh, be one of Fiona's. When did you know keepers. you wanted to be? Are you zookeepers? What's, what's your titles? I'll let Jenna go first. Okay. Uh, yes, I'm a zookeeper in the Africa department, and I definitely always loved animals. And so I did think... you major in Africa? <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, I ha I majored in biology and have a minor in animal behavior because I went to Indiana University. Okay. Hoosier. And. Um, they did not have a zoology degree, so I did biology. And then the most important parts to be a zookeeper are getting your hands-on experience. So um, it takes time, and you can't learn it out of a textbook. So right. what I did were internships throughout college and realized what I wanted to do exactly because I knew I wanted to work with animals, but I wasn't sure I wanted to be a vet, one, because of the schooling, and two, there's, like, a lot of stress and sadness with vets. They have to do the hard stuff, like, oh, yeah. you know, when an animal is older and you have to put it down, or if an animal is sick or gets hit by a car, like, that's yeah. the... And the pets are usually nervous to go to the vet, so it's not the most fun, <laughs> right. you know, interaction. So I kind of knew I didn't want to do the medical side of things, but I just wanted to be able to interact with animals and make their lives better. So I did a... a internship at a, a native wildlife rehab center in Bloomington, Indiana. And it was amazing. You get to work with all of these, you know, awesome animals that eventually, for the most part, if they're healthy enough, get to be released back into the wild. And that's great. So you feel like you're actually like 
saving a life and it's very hands-on, but it can be really hard too. Um, and it's mostly all volunteer work. So there are about 60 people that volunteer their time in three paid positions. And those people were sacrificing everything. Like they didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have cars. They rode their bikes to work because they just, the, the money wasn't there. Yeah. And as much as I would love to do that sometime, you know, in my future, maybe when I retire, volunteer at a place like that, I just knew I wanted a little bit more income to have a steady, you know, to be able to live basically. Yeah. I wasn't that selfless, I guess, <laughs> but, and there just aren't yeah, job opportunities in that field very often. You know, like I said, three out of 60 people helping out of this place were actually employees. And then I did um, another internship at a sanctuary where they um, took in animals that had been in the exotic pet trade and were not well cared for at all by people thinking they could own a tiger or a black bear (laughs) or something and, or horrible situations. And that was incredible. They do really great work also. What was the craziest animal that someone actually thought they could take care of at their house? Oh my gosh. There were two lions that had been pets. There were tigers, um, and where was this? This was um, at Black Pine Animal Park in Albion, or near Albion, Indiana. That's wrong. Um, <laughs> it's like um, There's no a, teeny, okay. yeah, <laughs> There's a teeny little one-stop light town that um, does this. <laughs> and, and two lions. Oh, gosh. They had one of them. The, one of the craziest stories was this couple, a married couple, had a lioness, a female lion, and they declawed her. And the vet, of course, well, first of all, decline isn't good for cats, but um, that's just like a lot of new information coming out about how bad decline your cats is. Anyways, doing it on a lion isn't done and (laughs) much larger, right? So this vet kind of (laughs) botched the job. And so the old, as she got older, she um, had terrible arthritis. She was in so much pain, she could hardly walk. Therefore, she became obese. And then it made, it was just like this terrible cycle that made everything worse. So they Okay, so this couple had her, and then they had a kid, and then they realized, oh, maybe we shouldn't have a lion around a child, and then they were getting a divorce and couldn't decide who would take this lioness. So, um, the sanctuary ended up with her at their house. Like, yeah, I have no idea. I don't know that part of the story. I do not know. When I started uh, interning at this place, she had already been there for years, and I didn't. It's not like I got to help, but it's terrible. So things like that, or a lion that was kept in a shed after he was too large to take photos at like some roadside stop or something like that. So they've taken these animals that shouldn't be pets. Yeah, uh, terrible. And so they do great work. And um, but then I went. To my senior year of college, graduated and start started like, okay, I think I want to take care of animals. I'm not sure exactly. I've never worked at a zoo. I'll intern at a zoo. So um, I started at the Cincinnati Zoo in 2009 as an intern and then basically never left or didn't leave. And um, it took a really long time for me to get a full-time job because there's no turnover. So everyone who becomes a zookeeper typically <laughs> wants to stay a zookeeper. They love it. Um And there just isn't a high turnover rate. So I worked as a temporary keeper in many departments. Um, Oh, so you weren't like painting faces first and then the the mechanical gardens next? No, but that is a a way to get your foot in the door and get your name out there. No, I worked with animals. I started out actually in the education department and did the visitor engagement stuff and um, a lot of the things that Mora does now. And then um, started volunteering in the elephant house. 
and got my first time. How many people talking. volunteer for the <laughs> elephant house? Oh, a lot. Anyone who's started at the zoo usually wants to volunteer. At the yeah, can you house. stay after? Uh, we need someone at the <laughs> elephant house from seven to nine tonight. Like, is that? I mean, you would come in on your weekends basically, so you'd work, and then on your Saturday, which typically isn't an actual Saturday, um, spend your time trying to prove your your worth and that you're a hard worker and you're willing to come in and wow. put in the work. And so just you and a shovel, basically. Yep. Yes, exactly. Just go Especially as a volunteer. After work. <laughs> we were talking about that today. That uh, you get immune to the smell. So yeah, I wouldn't. Really? Yeah, I was, that was my next question. I wouldn't notice the elephant house and the giraffe building kind of leave a strong scent with you. You can be there in 15, for 15 minutes and leave, and you carry that scent with you, and you eventually don't realize, and you'll be around the grocery store like you're not bothered by it. But then you remember. Um, All and the I, fruits turning brown. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I was just telling somebody in our um, aquatics department today that on Fiona's birthday, I dressed up in a Fiona shirt for her party instead of wearing a polo. And I went to work out afterwards, and I was like, why well, put on a new t-shirt? I'm just going to work out in a t-shirt. So I wore, and usually the hippos, they don't smell it. They don't stick with you. But when you work out in a t-shirt you worked in all day, <laughs> I was really, like, embarrassed. Well, hopefully you went to the judgment-free zone. Yeah, it was a judgment-free zone. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> yes, I hope so. I feel bad for the person next to me, but it was... Uh, it was uh, definitely a smell that comes with you, but I didn't think hippos did that. But if you wear it all day and then go work out and sweat, it definitely carries with you. I can smell you. Can you? Yeah. See, that's interesting because I can't. So yeah, you become immune to I mean, you smell anything. Great, but... <laughs> totally. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I hugged Maura when I saw her. I was like, "Oh, you smell great," and I probably smell awful. <laughs> yeah. So how long have you been with Africa then? <clears throat> um, so then, after moving around to different animal areas and just filling in wherever, if somebody you know, had shoulder surgery and they went out, I would uh, fill in for them. And then finally there was the new Africa department opening in 2014. And um, so there were four new positions and I did everything I could talk to everyone I can. Like, I want this. What, what do I need to do to have, get this job? And like, Thane, let's go out to eat. Yeah. Got as many like people to write in references and letters for me. And thankfully it was like, ended up being my dream department that I didn't know until I heard about it being built and the ideas of it because it's like I work with carnivores and birds and hoofstock and you know it's amazing it's like a great wide variety and a really awesome experience so um it definitely worked out but it took me like four and a half years to get a full-time job shout out to our friend Randy Perrin oh yeah Randy. yeah yeah <laughs> yep. long time buddy no doubt so Maura how about you yeah my um my origin story is actually pretty similar to Jenna's in some ways because we started at the zoo at similar times. Um, I went to University of Cincinnati. Bearcats. <laughs> I say that like I am a big fan and I don't care. Um, <laughs> I studied environmental science. I've been my bachelor's of science. And throughout my college journey, I thought, how can I make a difference in the world in a real way? Um as a kid, I think a lot of people who feel a, you know, a passion for nature want to work with animals, and working at a zoo is such a cool idea, but a lot of people think that to work in a zoo, um, you either are a zookeeper like Jenna, um, or there are just aren't other opportunities. Maybe you work for free as a volunteer, you, you know, um, have the kind of jobs where you might not be interacting directly with animals. So I thought I wanted to be um, a lawyer, and I was starting to study environmental law, and I wanted to go to law school. 
Um, now that I'm, you know, <laughs> a little outside of uh, my college journey, I'm glad, I'm so glad I did not pursue going to law school. I would not be a great lawyer. I think I was very lucky to find the zoo, but I started interning in the department that Jenna started interning in when she started um, in visitor experience in the education department. So much like Jenna, I also spent time volunteering in the <laughs> elephant department. We were volunteering around the same time. And I remember, I, I like being here with Jenna because our our stories started at the same time and were so similar and we ended up in two totally different places. She started getting opportunities um, to do more animal care and um, I got those similar opportunities after she did, but I chose to take the education route as far as the public side. So same start, she took animal care and I took education. Um, and so I started working in our visitor experience department um, in a program called Wild Encounters. I started um, as a part-time staff member and worked my way up to now I get the great privilege of leading the team of 70 people. So um, my day-to-day -day looks pretty um, different. Every day is very, very diverse. Um, if you come to the zoo and you're interacting with an animal, it's likely someone on my team who is out with them, whether you see flamingos walk by you or the sloth. The sloth. Yeah, yeah, you've met the sloth. Um, so behind the scenes tours and giraffe feedings or Galapagos tortoise encounters. Um, we have a huge amount of animal ambassadors, which are the ones that you see out with people. They're the ones um, that you can get up close to and touch. Um, and animal ambassadors really speak to me. Um, not literally, but they, <laughs> they, um, the importance of bringing um, everybody in the community close enough to touch an animal and look them in the eyes is is the moment where change begins, when you can feel a connection to an animal and that responsibility and respect um, is when people care. So we do a lot of community outreach, we do a lot of um, media and um, community, yeah, community events, um, talks around the zoo. So it's a, it's a really fulfilling way to have a career in a zoo that I didn't even think was possible. There are only a handful of zookeepers and only a handful of, you know, um, other types of jobs in the zoo, including mine, but I didn't even know that something like mine even existed. And I feel fortunate to have gotten to, to shape my journey and the opportunity to do a lot of what I get to do now. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I know everybody wants to come to the zoo and, you know, have an encounter with Fiona, which who knows how much <laughs> that costs these days. But, yeah, I don't know if people know that you can – you can visit a sloth and what the red pandas, the camel, what else? Yeah. Wallabies. Wallabies. Giraffe. You can, one of my favorite behind the scenes tours, I'll do a little plug for the, our, um, our insect behind the scenes tour, which is amazing because how often when you, when you go on the Fiona tour, <laughs> when you go on the Fiona tour, you're not holding Fiona, but when you get to go oh, on an insect anymore. tour, you're holding a millipede. And I know that sounds like, why would I scare myself like that <laughs> but um there is a really um special connection that i think when you can when you can relate to some of the smallest and most important animals in the zoo 
you really have an appreciation. I said when Thane was on here that the one thing at the zoo that I cannot go there without seeing is the ants that go all the way through the insect house from one side to the other. That's my favorite thing to see at the zoo. Oh, my gosh. If you catch one of the, like insect keepers or somebody who's working there to um, kind of make sure everything is going well in the building. They know so much about those. And as an animal person, well, obviously there are so many animals. I am not an expert on anything, but um, I, I sat there with my mom and my sister for 45 minutes, them just explaining us, explaining to us this like life cycle and how the ants it's so the leaf cutter ants work it's, so it's insane they're so gardeners and they have nurses yeah they all have jobs and they're so efficient and i don't think i've ever seen it oh my god are you serious I mean, oh I've, my gosh i've had an ant farm this is like, i don't think i've seen the just the way that they're like that's the last place yeah. you go bouncing yeah. around each other like excuse me come through they're so strong yeah they're so strong i highly suggest asking somebody about them i definitely will it's my it's my favorite thing to do so I just thought it was funny that he used to insects. Well, I did example. today. I was, I was like, should I be bringing an animal? And I was like, wait, it's a, it's a podcast. I, I uh, a Although I did bring no, <laughs> I thought Anna's um, in my pre-order. <laughs> I, I was thinking maybe I could bring Madagascar hissing cockroaches. They'll love them. But now I'm starting to think that you wouldn't have. Uh, we would have had a lot of fun. Um, so come down to the zoo. Next and time. We'll, see we'll do a field trip. There you go. Yeah. We do we do Cincy Shirts field trips where we yeah. go this and video. Where we guilt people into having us over for free so we can uh, make a video <laughs> about stuff, on social yeah. media. Well, that's kind of thing. like that. That's a great sell. <laughs> <laughs> I think Holtman's loved having us make donuts in their kitchen. Oh, they did. When, quite a mess. When you think about, like, you brought up Fiona. Obviously, she's our, you know, celebrity. Um, but Jenna and I were having dinner a few weeks ago, and we were talking about about work a little bit. But I, <laughs> I asked... Um, you know, what she was most passionate about. And your answer was not that you were working with Fiona, but that it was the mere, you love Fiona very much. I don't, I need to make that very clear, but that your heart was with the meerkats. Oh yeah. I, the meerkats are, I could watch them all day. I They're so meerkats. fun. I don't remember. Popping their little heads out. <laughs> 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 no, Set yeah. you up. Yeah. The meerkats are something that everyone should stop by and see. They're, they have They're so much the personality. Yes, they are. So they get a little bit of love that way. But can you um, tell them apart? I can. Yes. Uh, it took me a couple months to get really comfortable with it, and still there are times when I have to see a certain part of them. Usually, their tails are the easiest to tell apart. It definitely took me time to get to know them, and they were really shy when they first came, and um, so they came to us from the Disney Animal Kingdom um, because we that meerkat exhibit is, is new. So they, um, came to us and were a little bit shy. And then I would just sit there with, uh, mealworms are one of their favorite things and like six feet away and just toss them until they'd be brave enough to come over. And, and now they're, they're really into people and they like, you know, coming over and checking everyone out and, they're always on the lookout. That's my awesome. kid. Lo- my son loves that exhibit, like popping his head mm-hmm. up. In yeah, the yeah, in the bubble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love yeah. it when sometimes the meerkats will sit on top of the bubble when the kids are in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's so fun. Do you ever have like Great a cool fun. party you go to and you're like, I'm gonna sneak a meerkat out tonight and take <laughs> this party and be I, like, I like my job too much. <laughs> <laughs> Your plus one is a sloth. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, tell us about Mo. Mo's doing great. Mo is currently getting a new. Um, a new home built. So if, if you saw his old tree 
habitat at the zoo. Um, that's all torn down and a new tree home really? is, yeah. The whole built. building? No, sorry. I was going to say, I was like, that's a pretty no, no, nice no. building. Yeah, the building, yeah, the building's still there. The rainforest <laughs> is still there, but he's getting this really sweet upgraded uh. More home to roam. More home to roam, yeah. <laughs> or, was, or was that to mimic his uh, life in the wild and have a bulldozer go by? Oh, and gosh. <laughs> Whoa. That's a, okay, oh, that's a tough. Whoa, heavy. That's yeah. a dark yeah. direction. <laughs> so, yeah, that is true. I but mean, slaughterness. <laughs> yeah, since, since you brought it up. Um, Education. Palm oil is terrible. Well, sloth habitat is, it, it is one of the, biggest challenges that they they do face getting getting to cross say a road um is really tough when you can't climb tree to tree so sometimes what sloths do in central or south america is they'll climb power lines which is not a safe way to travel so (laughs) we work um all of our all of our behind the scenes tours and programs at the zoo benefit conservation in the wild that's important to the core of what we are as an accredited zoo um and we each have our own passion projects and and promote that but with the sloth tours specifically um we work with the sloth institute in costa rica and a a perk of you know working in a zoo is jen and i have had many opportunities to travel both you know around the u.s and outside the u.s to experience wildlife and i went to the sloth institute in Costa Rica. One of the things they do so that they're not climbing power lines is they hang monkey bridges, which are alternate routes that cross over roads so that sloths and monkeys can safely travel on a non, you know, electrified um, route to find And they're smart food. enough to know that that's they safe? Have, they know that that's the safe way to go because can't, there can't be very many of those compared to how many power lines right. there are. Sure. Well, definitely having more of them helps. And you will see sloths that try to cross the road um, on their bellies. They can't walk. They just crawl. I saw a video yeah. on Facebook. It's one of those ones where it's like a make, make you feel good, like, you know, humanity is not lost video. And it was a sloth trying to cross the street yeah. and they like stopped traffic. Yeah. And helped to cross. get across the street. Yeah. Man. It's it's tough. But I mean, you crazy. can imagine, it, especially if you're slow and you don't. You, the only way you get around is climbing from branch to branch and you don't do that fast and you don't do it often or far and you can't get to that really cute girl who's like calling to you to try to mate with her um, or you can't get to the food that you need to get to or safety. So, yeah, I mean, you brought up the bulldozer, but that's real. Yeah. <laughs> that is real life. Are you guys going to get a Moe's a girl, right? Moe's a boy. Moe's a boy. Okay. I thought it was like Maureen or something. Oh. Mo, or it was... It was Whatever. Right. Slow mo. Yeah. Okay. All Slow right. Slow motion. That's so, great. Are you gonna get him a girlfriend so then? Are we gonna yeah. breed sloths or do that in captivity? Yeah. Have some mo. Yeah. We actually have like it's called a species survival plan, and it's um, a way to kind of spread the genetic diversity, and it's like a family tree almost. So we keep track of oh, yeah. who's related to who, and based on basically genetics, we will determine if animals should or shouldn't have a mate and whether or not they should uh, reproduce and that way we aren't breeding just for fun because of course baby hippos bring in a big crowd but you wouldn't if you can't if you don't have the space for the hippos or that sort of thing you wouldn't want to breed them for no reason so there's a lot of science that goes behind it if that if they decide that there's a match like how do you figure out like okay are you going to send your sloth to us or yeah. we send our sloth to you? It's all part of it. Is there, a, is there an argument over that? Timothy, like, no. all you got to do is send out some tweets and <laughs> jump on the bandwagon. The sloth Tinder. It does. Keep yeah. swiping. 
<laughs> that's sort of, I mean, and at the, at the, at the root of it, that's what SSPs are, is that people who are way smarter than me, who organize <laughs> genetics and locations of animals. And usually what will happen, every zoo who is part of SSPs is in it for the better, the betterment of the species. So that might mean that sometimes you do have to send an animal that you love someplace else so they can breed. Um, is that tough? Yeah, I mean, it's you tough. Be with us. Yeah, <laughs> it's just us here. It's tough, but... That's why we do it. Yeah. You know, um, working with animals is the same as working with, you know, your pets at home. Like, you know that sometimes you have to say goodbye. And the reasons for that might be a lot of different things you might say bye for. But um, sending an animal to go breed is really sad sometimes. But that happiness of that animal being successful is is the core of why we why we're here. We're here to make sure that animals are experiencing great lives and that we're able to teach people and um, that there's great diversity. And if it is successful, do they typically like come back after a certain amount of time or is it like, this is my new home because I got to be a dad now? Or It again depends. So sometimes zoos will say you can, you know, you you can borrow this animal maybe maybe if it's a really genetically valuable male let's say and I'm not talking sloths well I don't know say there's no valuable whatever. sloth <laughs> <They're> <laughs> very valuable. Just kidding. depending <laughs> yeah. on how complex it is to move that animal that animal might travel to a few different zoos and meet a few different ladies cool. and have you know different. Um, genetics at different zoos, depending on how valuable they are. But other animals, that's really stressful to do. You're not going to be moving, you know, hippos multiple times in their lives. Um, but some animals, like a bird, it might be easier to move. Um, but it just, it depends. Some birds you wouldn't move. It's definitely like for the betterment of the species. And so that the way that we don't have to bring animals in from the wild anymore is because of the species survival plan. And we make sure that we're spreading the genetic diversity so that we can manage the populations responsibly. And then, so that is like the big picture, but ultimately the, an the individual animal comes into play. So if it would be life-threatening because of stress to send them somewhere, then we pick the next best, best option. Um, so, there was an opportunity to send one of our giraffe all the way to Santa Barbara. And we're like, we don't want her to have to travel all the way across the country. She's too big for that. It's, it can happen. And many giraffe have been successful and done fine. But there was a really good opportunity also at Columbus. So it just sometimes yeah, it, you pick, yeah, yeah. you pick the second best option that is the very best option for the animal. But ultimately, in order for us to be able to care for these animals at a zoo... We do have to manage their populations. And is it is it ever like a trade situation? Yeah, yeah, sometimes. Like, uh -huh. It's a yeah. Sometimes it's a like a monkey a, to be named later. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Sometimes it's like okay, um, we'll borrow. Yeah, this. we'll borrow them, and and then once they have had two babies, then you'll get one. We'll get one. Yeah. Like, but but it's always looking for the betterment of the future. So mm. it's easy to fall in love with animals, especially as visitors. Um, you might have experienced, you know, one of our baby giraffe being born. But we've moved a lot of giraffe over the past few years. And that, that can be hard. We have, you know, kids and adults alike who fall in love with the story of an animal. And, um, and it's hard to see them leave. But 
that's part of why, you know, why we try to tell this story. It's Do important. a lot of places get good at breeding giraffes? Or is that, like, just something the Cincinnati Zoo has figured out? And it's like, you need a giraffe, just call. Yeah. <laughs> working. I think Jenna has been here for every giraffe yeah. birth. You have been on site. Yes. For I've each seen of them. five giraffe births. What? Yeah. yeah. Since uh, the new giraffe yeah. ridge area opened in 2008. I've lucked out, yeah, because like I mentioned before, I wasn't full time for a while, so I would bounce back and forth where departments needed me, and so I was in seasonal in the elephant giraffe department three separate times, and timing giraffe pregnancy is like fifteen months. I just happened to work out that I was there, and then we, um, the Africa department, now cares for the giraffe, so I was there for the past two as a full timer also, but. Yeah, well, you made a reference to the giraffe ridge being built. Like, does does the environment being so? Like, I guess when when you hear about these upgrades, like automatically, I view it as someone who goes to the zoo of having a better visual experience. But are a lot of these exhibits also like upgraded so that the animals have an easier time to to breed? Or absolutely, yeah. So I never thought about that zoos you know, have come a long way. There are definitely pictures I can look back at from like the fifties and I would never want to be a zookeeper in those days. And people did their best, but you know, you continue to learn and everything progresses. And so now zoos are like constantly looking into how can we make this better for the animals? So, um, yeah, we're having habitats designed specifically that have really good you know, very specific thing elements put into them so that the, the animals are happier, healthier, feel more secure, feel at home and relaxed. And a relaxed animal is definitely going to <laughs> to have be more successful. Now they've got a little privacy, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right? I mean, giraffes do a really good sure. job at reproducing on their own. Um, we just supr- uh, support. We provide the support for them. Um, but yeah, if you have an animal in a stressful situation, the chances of them being successful at reproduction. I never thought well. about that. And shout out to my yeah. brother-in-law, Dean Violetta. He designed. Oh, Dean, no way. He's amazing. He's amazing. Yes. Yes. We love Dean. Yeah. As awesome. Many people do. Yeah. <laughs> He's helped our zoo come so far, too. And and like I said, it's, it's like a never-ending growing business. So I hope 20 years from now I can say, oh, man, I can't believe we did that then. It's even better now. Like... That is, you know, yeah. you I guess if you go to the Griffith Park in Los Angeles where the old zoo was, they still have the old yeah. zoos and they shoot movies there sometimes. But oh, I think they've yeah. also kept it so you can see just, you know, what a zoo used to look like. It's super interesting. And yeah. I'd like to check that out. And when you're there, you, I mean, you, if you've experienced it, I've, I've been to the old Griffith Park Zoo and um, there is, it is so much if, it feels like a it feels like a show in some ways. You feel like you're just out and looking in at where the animals were. And zoos are constantly learning, and I think that that's one of the perfect examples because you could also then drive a mile to the Los Angeles Zoo and see how different it is yeah. there. That um, and that was you know 50 or 60 years ago that they had the big transition. So. Um, when you're at our zoo, I, I hope that you notice either by experiencing it or seeing photos that there really isn't a lot of disconnect between you and an animal. When you are up with the lions, you're either looking at them in open air or there's glass and you're three inches away from their face. There is not a perceived barrier 
between you and the animals. I mean, of course there, there is for, for safety, but, um, you are right next to them. And that is why we think what we do is really, that's why Dean's so great at his job. Um, because we're bringing you right up to the animals. And yeah, that's them. huge. And it didn't, yeah. didn't used to be like that until like recently. Exactly. On, or the, the gorilla exhibit. Um, yeah, that's yeah, a great that, example. That, uh, yeah, you can get, get super close to them now. Yeah, yeah, and they're really interested in people too, so they come out, come up and check you out, and yeah. it's really interactive. Oh, I know. I was gonna ask you. Um, I was watching the uh, Mister Rogers documentary yeah. on uh, HBO. Yeah, and there's a scene Great where movie. he is like hanging out with Coco the gorilla, and you know she supposedly knows sign language and all that stuff, and she's like, she's like, oh. She signed uh, something like Coco, love you, don't leave, or something. Do you buy that, or is she just trying <laughs> to get a biscuit? Like, Girls are really smart. Because, and, I mean, she yeah. like, supposedly had her own language and would communicate with people, but, I mean... Jenna and I, I will say, we are not gorilla experts, so this is not... Um, well, just as yeah. an animal behavior. You can or train whatever. animals so many different things. So I am... I am sure that somewhere along the line that um, gorillas have learned specific hand signals for different... I mean, just like you're, you know, if someone teaches a baby sign language, they might... Right. It's just a different way of communicating. There's so many ways to communicate, and sometimes it's with... Like, it's not actually American Sign Language, but I use all sorts of hand cues... With yeah. animals, and then they can respond and let me know, like, if they're... Yeah. None of the animals that you work with have hands, but they... <laughs> yeah, I don't they, have any... <laughs> but they might, you know, you target training an animal by presenting a cue, and then going towards it, them going towards that cue is trained behavior, just like... Well, beyond training, though, like, do you spend enough time with... Are there certain animals that, like... Not that you can understand their language to each other, but just their behaviors, like you learn over a certain amount of time where you're like, I know what they want or I know what they, they is missing or do you know what I mean? Absolutely. With the meerkats, there is a while, uh, so they have all different vocalizations that they make and certain ones mean, you know, aerial predator. I see a hawk, I see an eagle, that sort of thing. And then they'll make a different vocalization for a snake or something on the ground or, Here's a threat, but we don't need to dive in our tunnels yet. So there's different noises. And for a while, one summer, I, I could have swore I, I like paid. I spent enough time with them that I could like pick out which each one meant. So there's little things like that where they're they're actually communicating to one another, and you can kind of pick That's up fascinating. like you know. I'm uh, sure like human mothers say different cries. They can tell like this is a hungry yeah, cry. This is a cry yeah, I need to that's, change that's their true. diaper. That yeah. sort of thing. And then, I mean, like, one of my loves, uh, Hobbs, our lesser kudu, he comes over and, well, I can't see it on a podcast, but he, like, leans in and he turns his ear towards you, and that's him saying, like, I want you to scratch my ear. <laughs> so they definitely do different behaviors where you can pick up on what they actually are. What's nice. that What's that animal that you you were obsessed with seeing when we went oh, to the zoo? Okapi. Okapi. Oh, oh, yeah. That's yeah. my favorite. Super That's awesome. your friend Randy's yeah. apartment. Yeah. Yep. yeah, Randy got me in the back. The uh, the backstage, yeah. And we got they're the like pet. velvets, yeah. And when you and touch oily. an okapi, yeah, your hands get that orange residue on it from the oil in their hair. It was wild, yeah. yeah. A like lot of that. people don't know what okapi are. That's right. Yeah. They're, Did uh, you know what an okapi was before? Yeah, just because uh, Diego. Dora and Diego. I'm watching my kids. <laughs> watch all that. That's how I learned what a map was. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, they. Uh, Do you know what an copy is related to? 
Yeah, what's your guess? What what's um, your if we uh, said there's one animal and I want to look at a picture to. and make a guess. I, I looked it up Don't after Dane was Google on. It's a giraffe because you were on about that, but now I can't remember what they even look like. Yeah, well, they have like a zebra butt, and they're uh, I think it's like a giraffe something. I'm gonna guess. Well, the front of it looks like a hyena. The head looks like a <laughs> Are you hyena. looking at the right one? Do you, got, so? do you know what a hyena looks like? They got like giraffe tongue. It is not a pig at home. And uh, can Google I have a pretty guess here. What you got? Maybe I've just been watching the line. I'm like, King why is that animal on Earth? You know what I mean? It's like it's so it's so it crazy. Have the, They're forest dwellers. The leggings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And did I also hear that they no one really knows the population? In the wild, because they're so like elusive, or that I would believe that, yeah, for sure. I don't don't have an answer because of those stripes on their legs, which look crazy. They actually blend in really well the way the like light comes through the leaves, um, in the forest. It's just so dark in the forest. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. A lot of when you you know when you go to a zoo, it's it's easier to see an animal in a zoo because you know that it's supposed to be in there, and so you're able to look for it. When you're out on safari in Africa, it is really, really dang hard to find an, an animal if you're not looking for it. Um, so you think, how does a cheetah blend in if they're covered in these dark spots? But when you see a cheetah in the wild, you get it. They lay totally flat. They look just like the mottled light from the tree um, as the sun's coming through. So animals are, you know, master, master adapters. Man. So let's, uh, all right. Well, what's the answer? I feel like we have to answer. Oh, yeah. yeah sorry. Do you have a guess? Uh, I think I might have seen by accident. I was going to guess donkey at first. Oh, okay. I get why you guessed that. Dude. Go ahead. No. He's trying to do a pick stitch with a hyena and a, <laughs> he's trying to prove that I'm trying it's to really prove a hyena. I know. I'm not saying it's a hyena. I'm just saying that my guess like... isn't as crazy as you guys are making me feel like it would have been. Oh, the closest, the closest relative to an okapi is the giraffe. You yes. were right. You ding, nailed it. Ding. You could work in a zoo. <laughs> Got I think it, right. it was the ears. Oh, oh sure. okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Come on. Yeah, no. You're right. <laughs> you heard it here, guys. Okapi is related to giraffe. <laughs> it is and a I was wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> on his mother's side, twice removed. <laughs> That's crazy. So we haven't really talked about the Queen Fiona that much. Yeah, what do you want to know? She's a princess. Is she old news? <laughs> yeah, BB's the queen. Oh, that's right. Uh, I can't say she's old news. There's still people coming from all over the world to see her and, you know, uh, news stations coming to celebrate her birthday and all sorts of things. But I'm shocked that she isn't old news yet. It's amazing. And talking about ambassadors. It's unbelievable. We're shocked. <laughs> yeah, you still you selling shirts? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's the craziest place somebody told you that they came from to see her? I think the craziest I've heard is Japan. I mean, we've shipped shirts yeah. everywhere, but really? flying to Cincinnati to actually see her in person. We were at a so. bar in Covington or something, and there was a couple next to us, and we're like, oh, they're like, oh we're in town from New Orleans. We're up here to see Fee. <laughs> like, huh? like, Nickname basis. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Where yeah, have you guys, gotcha. where's the furthest you've shipped merchandise? Russia. Wow. Uh, probably is the furthest, right? That's amazing. Yeah. Israel, South America. I mean, you name She's, it. We've sent shirts everywhere. Eastern Europe. She's brought the whole community together. You know, everyone is celebrating her and... So many different ways. It's, it's crazy. But that's the best part about our our job as, you know, taking care of animals. As Maura talked about ambassadors, that's what Fiona is for hippos and 
in general and in the wild. I mean, they're being poached now for ivory, just like elephants and there's habitat loss. And so if people are falling this in love with Fiona, I hope there's at least one of these millions that are like, I'm going to go help protect the habitat of hippos in the wild or something. So she kind of brings it back to the whole why we're here, why zoos are important. So how was that whole media circus around, you know, her birth and, you know, like the whole, really the whole year. I mean, what point did you go like, wow, this is legit. Like, like I'm really like, were were you ever like stressed out or did it add excitement or, you know, like, Uh, I was definitely stressed out just like raising her and keeping her alive. That took so much. uh, The first few weeks I remember for you were really, I mean, and for your whole team. Yes. Talking to you were so stressful. The most stressful of your career. Oh, absolutely. No doubt. It's so we were really public with it and transparent and shared that with everyone. And so not only do we love this animal and we've been expecting it, you know, we did an ultrasound. We know, we knew Fiona was going to join us or a hippo was going to join us if all went well. And now the whole world knows it and they're watching and is that an extra pressure? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So usually, you know, sometimes in the past, the zoo has kept things kind of a, a little hush hush in order to keep people from being disappointed or, you know, if, you know, nature doesn't always go perfectly. So the fact that we had that already out to the world that we, we put out the ultrasound image and showed everyone on like January 9th. Sorry, I'm kind of sick still. Um, I thought you were getting choked up. I've done that many times, but I might be too far removed at this point. I don't know. But um, but she... So everyone knew that we were expecting a baby hippo. And then January 23rd, we see babies in labor. And it's like, well, we're not going to keep it hush-hush now. There's so many people waiting for this yeah. hippo calf to be born. And it turned out to be the greatest thing because all of that led to the crazy hype around her and the support and the support kept us going. So we were stressed on a daily basis. Like we're working crazy hours. We have 60 some other animals that we're caring for at the same time. Plus working, you know, 24 hour shifts with this hippo that the world is hoping survives and fighting with us. So it was a very stressful up and down emotional roller coaster. But then getting all the Facebook posts and the cards sent in and, oh my gosh, we all gained 20 pounds that year, I'm pretty sure, because we got so much food given to us, which was amazing, but none <laughs> of it was healthy. Mas- you had a yes. masseuse come Some in. amazing person donated a masseuse to come um, to work and we all got like 30 <laughs> minute massages. It didn't translate out of her department. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, that was... Uh, <laughs> crazy so anyways i think it was great because now everyone knows how much work goes into it and how much we do care for our animals and the lengths we'll go to keep them healthy and alive and that sort of thing Um, how long had hippo cove been finished before she was born uh so it opened in the summer of 2016 and she was born so what like could you were you guys like if that had happened before hippo cove was ready would you have been able to handle it we didn't have hippos until hippo cove was okay okay yeah they were staying at the motel six (laughs) (laughs) when's that thing gonna be done come on (laughs) for sure but because of that we knew 
the very first day that Henry and Bibi were put together. So it's not, so we knew the very first opportunity that Fiona could have been conceived. There's no guessing in the numbers. Like we were expecting her at the very earliest based on them being introduced to each other. Let's say July 30th or something. We knew hippo gestation is eight months. So the earliest could have been March 4th or 6th, I think, is when we were expecting her. But they bred for an entire month that they were there. Um, uh, the very first month they were there. Like, they hit it off. Yes! Yes! Couple yes. of newlyweds. couple. <laughs> New Hippo Cove. And... Yeah, so it could have been yeah. the beginning of the month when they were first put together or the end of the month. And so it was, wow. she was at least six weeks premature, but there's a possibility she was 10 weeks premature. Anyways, yeah, so we didn't have any hippos until it was ready, but... That's yeah, crazy. so she came a little less than eight months. And Henry was the old old man. Yeah, he is my one of my favorite animals I've ever worked with. He was amazing. I was say, is, is he like smarter, or does he have like a different uh, personality than BB, or like I don't know? Like, yeah, it's personality. He was very like friendly, not to anthropomorphize, but he would come over and just hang out, and he loved. Um, like cheek massages so he had those giant jowls that would kind of flop out of his mouth and he loved to have those rubbed and um you didn't have to have a treat for him for him to come over and say hi where bb's kind of like you have any food over there oh i guess it's not worth me getting out of this pool so um he was just like i don't know gentle and he was so good with bb male hippos can be really aggressive during um, mating or breeding, and Henry was always great with her. And, and, and wasn't it wasn't it a thing about how how he would react to Fiona? Is that some males in their their child? Yeah. Um, so a lot of times in zoos, in order to make sure the calf is completely safe, they will have the mother and calf live together, and the male will live um, kind of off on his own. So they might switch days if one goes outside one day, the other one goes the next just to make sure um, and based on behaviors that they see from the male to the calf. And so we did a lot of what we call howdy situations where he had the opportunity to like be nose to nose, but there was a little bit of a barrier, like a mesh between them so they can smell and see and hear and everything. And we just based it off of the behaviors he was showing us. We thought he'd be okay with her and he was. So that also made everyone fall in love with him even more. We had our premature baby that we didn't know would survive then she did and then the whole family was put back together and that was like our fairy tale ending but yeah he was just really gentle and patient i guess and it's amazing i mean she i mean no with zero hyperbole like she she transformed our company yeah i I wanted to at what point did you say we want to we want to help with this like i never got to ask you that. so we we reached out as soon as she was born yeah Probably four days after. They knew there were complications, and it was, you know, is she going to make it? And, you you know, it it came out that, like, she needs around-the-clock care, and it's going to cost a lot of money. And that's when we first reached out, and, you know, they were basically like, we feel like we should wait and make sure she's going to make it before. I didn't know it was that soon that you guys reached out. Yeah, it was pretty We have no coup. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and was it, it was it motivated it was because just, of a? Do you like? Have you been zoo fans or like? We had an agreement fans? with the zoo for two years right? prior because right. we had a. I remember uh, a little collection with just like old signage yeah. and uh, like stuff from the seventies and just like cool Cincinnati Zoo history, like some like the 
the opera. We got uh, summer yeah. feats or whatever they call. It. There was a there's a couple like historical things that uh, we had shirts for already. Yeah, and then we were kind of like, yeah, we hadn't really done done much with it, and we just you know obviously saw the reaction on social media, and we're like, hey, you know, like this is help. definitely a t-shirtable yeah. moment. So we had we had everything in place, but it, but also at that time the zoo had your own like kind of fundraiser, you know, mm-hmm. crowdfunding T-shirt. Um, so that kind of ran its course, and, and and by that time they had they had felt pretty confident saying she was going to make it. So they said, if you guys still want to help out with the cost, then uh, then you can go for it. <laughs> so we had you know we we had a bunch of different ideas as we always do. <clears throat> and we settled on the one. Yeah, one was a Jaws parody where it was just a baby hippo, oh. <laughs> and the the surfer that the you know Jaws was getting ready to take a chunk out of with a baby bottle. But uh, I still kind of laugh. I was like, what if we went with that? Yeah. <laughs> I think if you put that out now, it would sell. We probably <laughs> sold a little bit of shirts of it, but nothing like the well, iconic. You know, uh, your right, first one was right. a feel. Uh, was that the feeling hip? Yeah, and yeah. we um, you know uh, we we set a goal. What was our first goal? Ten thousand. We wanted to help. Yeah. Was it even that high? Where we thought, like, if we could raise this much money and donate, like, that would be amazing. This is, like, 20% from a... Or it was, it was a portion. Yeah. It was, yeah. 20% of all, all sales. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think we hit it in, like, three days or wow. something. I mean, it was crazy. I remember and, when you presented the check when you came to meet Mel. Oh, yeah. It was, like, one... Big novelty check right back here. Oh, was that what that... Oh, it was hiding. Yeah. 50000 Fifty freaking thousand. thousand dollars is what. But the it's increased said. since then. it's double. It's over three hundred thousand. Oh. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, that's that gave me goosebumps. Pretty nuts. <laughs> it's insane. It's I, I mean, I, amazing. I, I, it's insane. And it literally did transform your your company. It did. You know, where we're sitting right now recording this podcast, this is where we used to print shirts from. This and, is a penthouse and yeah. for yeah. every listener. Yeah. It's uh, a great yeah. And the, the room that has all of our FC Cincinnati stuff, that's where we mailed everything out of. Yeah. And we just, we needed more space just because of um, the, the how we were starting to grow. So we moved to this warehouse over in Clifton where we could have a little bit more space and, and uh, print and ship from there. And then Fiona just continued to get bigger and bigger to the point where we had to get another space in that same building just for Fiona stuff. Wow. And it's still going. Still going. Not as strong, but yeah, people, yeah. people still. And people represent. were still ordering the, the very first shirt we did because we did the first shirt. Then we did the family reunion shirt. That's my favorite. And then we did the hippo for Christmas sweatshirt. And feeling festive. And then we did the kiss. And we did the mural. And we did the Fiona five uh, the Fiona five K plus the There's flying pig. Uh, did you do the one K uh, yeah. shirt? One K, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is crazy. I'm like, man, she's world famous and she's never left that, you know, what, hundred yard by hundred yard area <laughs> in her, her whole life it's it's, it's the nuts. power of social media it's nuts. but it was beyond that too it really was it wasn't just the story there was something special about her yeah. like the like the faces she would make like no one i don't think i had ever heard anyone say like oh look how cute that hippo is like ever even at about right. a baby but there was just something like extra cute about her with her story and then like the 
you know, people posing in front of the tank and she'd just pop her head up and be kind of smiling. Oh, you know? yeah. She poses for It was, like, magical. <laughs> like, seriously. Like, it was, it was not just the story. It was, it's, there's something special about her. She's charismatic, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, photo bombing, the uh, uh, engagements, and... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's nuts. So, so you probably got to meet some uh, fun people because of that, right? Have there? I mean, a couple of them have been on the news, but... Are there any, like, celebrities that have uh, been like, eh, don't tell anybody we're here? You know what? It's kind of crazy because as a zookeeper, my job is not typically glamorous. It's a lot of smelly cleaning up after animals. Um, And I've met a few celebrities, but not necessarily because of Fiona now. So some of them came with no intentions of meeting Fiona. The one that came specifically for Fiona was uh, Chelsea Clinton. So she was there. But as far as, I was surprised. I thought for sure some celebrity would, like, use their fame to come meet this hippo. But apparently yeah. they're they're not as popular. Are you thinking of someone? No, that's what okay. I was thinking of, Chelsea. Yeah. Um, Chelsea. Chelsea. <laughs> you know, my, my girl. My girl. <laughs> bestie. Yeah. Sort of thought, yeah, somebody would come, but um, not think, for Fiona yet. Yeah, I, I think of all the, the big moments are really special and really cool, right? When people make huge journeys to come and see, but it's also the people who come every day, the members and the families who are the most affected by her. And you, you watch maybe a child who was really sick and also premature and had their own tough health journey. And they see Fiona and her fight and they're inspired and motivated and they get to share her story and the whole family celebrates. Yeah. Those moments are really special too that we, we get to see. People said stuff like that on our Facebook mm-hmm. page or in emails of like oh yeah, weight, like, you know, like a eating disorder, just any yeah, struggle. Can be me and, you know. Yeah. I've met so many families that say, you know, they were since we're so close to Children's Hospital, so we were cooped up in our room for months, but we watched her daily updates and it kind of kept us going and now we're finally here. Like we're better, we're at least healthy enough to make it out of the hospital and come wow. visit. And yeah, there are moments, plenty of moments that, you know, really give me wow. goosebumps and, and get to me. And it's it made all that shoveling in the elephant. Oh, house yeah. worth it, right? <laughs> For sure. Uh, so yeah, her story is, and just everything she went through is relatable somehow to everyone. Well, you never know what's going to inspire people. people, you know? Yeah. I mean, just, just like for us to be just like such a small part of it, but you know, to have the New York times or the NBC nightly news, you know, it's like we spent so many years and I don't want to make this about us, but we spent so many years like trying to figure out like, how can we create a company that people all over the country mm-hmm. or all over the world could be into? Like, what kind of products could we create to get them on board? And it wasn't until we had, like, a local focus <laughs> that we started getting national attention. It was so weird, you know, between yeah, the Ariana Grande and the other stuff oh, that yeah. we've done. Like, yeah. we've gotten more national news on us from just doing what we do locally than we did when we were trying to do something that appeased everybody. Yeah, right. Huh. It's amazing. Yeah. 
So, okay, so we got to wrap this up. I can't believe, I mean, it went so fast. Uh, I did have a question. Yeah, go for it. I was going to ask zookeepers. There's that conundrum between people who love animals and say, well, if you love animals, animals shouldn't be in captivity. But then, Uh, of course, the reason they're in captivity is so we can help the ones that are not in captivity and so we can help their habitats and all this other stuff. How do you, like, respond to people that, you know, that say that? Like, what's your reaction to that? Honestly, my reaction is... My gut reaction is, <laughs> no, I I wish that we didn't need zoos, but we do. Yeah. So I'd love it if there was all of this wild space and it was safe and they could live their lives and people would respect them and love them doing their own thing and give them their space that they need to like do everything that they need to do. I mean, if you think about it, a raccoon trying to get across the road, all it's trying to do is either go from one place where it was looking for food to another or to find its mate or to go to its home or that sort of thing. So even there's just like not very much wild space left. And so now zoos are so necessary for many reasons, but to help people realize how special animals are, get close enough to care, and then hopefully care about the wild because not only do we need it to protect wild habitat for the animals, we need it for people too. So if you're decimating the bee population eventually we're not going to have any food because they pollinate the food that we eat and the things that we use to make food so and there's a whole ecosystem collapse that can happen without animals so we need to protect the ones that are endangered and their habitat and zoos help do that they give money they give grants they educate people they educate they help people fall in love with these animals yes we we send people to help um we sent um two of our staff members to help in Madagascar with a tortoise crisis where there were like 11,000 radiated tortoises collected from the wild and they were in deplorable condition because people were going to sell them and they're an an endangered species. So we sent two people to go help with these 11,000 tortoises that were on the brink of death um, to try and keep them alive. So zoos are doing things in the wild. It's just the thing, the things you see are coming to the zoo and sure, the lion doesn't get to run all day, but guess what? Lions don't run all day. You know, they don't have to run miles to get to their food, but they do have healthy situations. And of course, there are things that are always getting better in zoos, but um, there's so much that zoos do well. And um, there's such a bigger picture that it'd be great if we didn't need them, but we do. And I think they have an awesome purpose and they do so much good. And it wasn't just our zoo. I'll piggyback on that. Everything you said was great. The um, the two people who we sent from our zoo were just two out of many that a lot of zoos said, we want to help and we're going to invest a lot of money into sending people to help. So zoos work together all the time for the betterment of wild spaces and, you know, wildlife in, in those areas. I think what is also interesting, um, just what motivates us is even though... Of course, we would love for animals to have wild, wild places that are unaffected by humans, and that would be a wonderful place to live. Um, it is very much our, our purpose in working in this field that we want to give these animals the best lives that we can. And so um, that motivates us every day to give them a wonderful experience and give our, our visitors and community a great exposure to wildlife. Um, when we think about wildlife, it's really easy to think about an elephant in Africa or um, picture whatever, you know, wild animal on the other side of the world. When we think about saving wildlife, though, 
we want to encourage people to think about wildlife that's in your backyard too, because everyone has their own backyard. And if we're responsible for our own space in our local community, I'm not talking your literal backyard, but in the Midwest, um, we have and have had a lot of species diversity that we've lost. Um, but we still do have a lot of animals that are native to this habitat, um, or the space around here. And so what are ways that you can do the best here? You can find many ways to support wildlife on the zoo's website. You can visit the zoo, but we encourage people to, um, think about ways that they can put up a bird feeder or help make sure that animal space is unaffected. You're not cutting down, you know, a tree that might be somebody's home and you're planting pollinator friendly plants. Like it starts in, in your own community. It is not saving lions in Africa. That is really important. And zoos do a lot to help do that, but we want to spread the message that it's, it's actually here. That's important too. And even awesome. not raking your leaves helps animals in the wild. So animals that need well, to stay I've been warm. Animals <laughs> <laughs> right? Let your grass grow. Yes. I mean, really. It's... Yeah. Provides food, provides shelter. So salamanders uh, will huddle underneath all of the leaf pile, leaf litter that comes, you know, builds up over the fall. And, and I was actually, I had to push some leaves off of my driveway that had all gone up against a wall and I was like oh no what if I like ruin a salamander's habitat and I did I found a little salamander and I was so sad so I pushed the pile all to one spot and then tucked him back under it but like little things like that <laughs> not using pesticides is really important do your neighbors because... hate you I'm like why does she ever mow and <laughs> I do mow but I don't rake <laughs> that's hilarious that's yeah. great are we getting pandas anytime soon come on nah, nah. Sorry. <laughs> What's we the next really big cool thing? We have really cool red pandas. Yeah, red, oh, yeah, red the red pandas. pandas. Uh, next big thing elephants, is the big Rue Valley. Elephant, elephant Trek will be in, like, 2025. Yeah. Um, Rue Valley, though, will be next, in the next couple years. Yeah. What's Rue Valley? Valley? Kangaroo Valley? Kangaroo Valley. Walk An through. Australian uh, kangaroo walkabout little penguins. Koala? Mm-hmm. No. Nope. Come on. Where's it going to be? Outback? All you need is like a 20 by 20 for Koala. It's going to be Outback, yes. Outback. Uh, (laughs) Come on, guys. Hey, I'm a professional. Two really good ones already. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) All right, so uh, everybody knows how they can follow the zoo online and Facebook and everything. Do you guys have anything specific to your departments or even personal plugs that you want to get out there? People can... Learn about the wild encounters. Yeah. How do they find those? Are when you freelance zoo? keeping on the side? If they want to bring some to their school or special event, that's capable. That you can do that, right? Or no? Yeah. You, no? Yeah, I, we do have. You one laugh. Of, I was like, did I say something? No, <laughs> we have so many different kinds of programs that are available all the time. What's coming up that is really cool is Tunes and Blooms, which is free concerts in April um, on Thursday nights, and it's a time to get the community together and the tulips um are hopefully going to yeah. be blooming then um but it's a great opportunity if you've never been to the zoo it's a free night try it out come visit um but sincerely we we do uh, dedicate so much of our time and our programs to talking about conservation and what you can do so yes on the zoo's website sincinezoo.org um look at the build a better home for wildlife page it I know I said animals in your backyard and it's not your literal 
backyard. You can do it from wherever you are. Um, I live in an apartment and I have, um, bird feeders and I can, I can make it work and pollinator friendly plants. Um, but visit the zoo's website if you're looking for specific outreach programs or ways to get involved. Um, there's so much that, that we involve people. We have a family community service program where families and individuals can come and volunteer to do a river cleanup or build a bat box that you can take to your house and hang. So um, there's a lot of ways to get involved. Sinaizu.org. Nice. And buy a membership. That's the best deal in town. It, it is. is. It really yeah, is. It really is. Zoo Definitely family. Family gold. You get that free parking. Yep. And uh, then you go the all train. summer. Yeah. And Festival of and Lights. Festival of Lights and which come, is like the greatest. Yeah. And leave. Like, so you don't have to spend the whole day exactly. there. You just want to get come outside five for an hour. Yeah. And, and get spend a soda and a souvenir there. cup. <laughs> yeah. Cheap refills. Yeah. And you can use your cups from previous years. You guys must be members. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. We're glad to have you. We don't just talk the talk. Love it. You just donate $300,000. That's all. Um, We ask our guests to give us a word that people can use as a coupon code until the next episode comes out. So if you were going to give us one word that would save people some money until the next podcast... What would you like that word to be? I really wish we could have prepared for this. No. No. It's really not that important. Sure. Yeah. Yeah? Is that boring? No, go ahead. You're more creative than I am. Go ahead. What were you thinking? I was thinking nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I said conservation. That's good. Love it. There okay. you go. Yeah. <laughs> conservation. All right. All right. So type in conservation on cincyshirts.com or oldschoolshirts.com. You'll save 20% on your order. That code will be good until the next episode comes out. Or you can mention the word conservation at any of our stores, Over the Rhine, Hyde Park, or Loveland, and save 20% that way as well. Thank you guys so much for being here. Come back and see us. This is great. Good times. You guys are great. (laughs) Thanks for supporting us. And Jenna. For information on the zoo, simply go to CincinnatiZoo.org. Also, you can go back and listen to episode one of this podcast to hear a chat with Thane Maynard, the zoo director. And why stop there? Go back to the Cincy Shirts podcast archives. Lots of great episodes back there. Matt Bischoff from Survivor was just on. Gold Star Chili CEO Roger David was on. Bill Lanabedian, the guy that founded Bunbury. John Keyswetter, a TV reviewer from many, many years back and still doing it, actually, for WVXU now. Amy Asbeck off of Movies and TV. There's all kinds of great episodes. Just go back there, dig through them, listen to them all. Now, let me see. If there's anyone you'd like to hear on the podcast, well, just drop us an email at info at cincyshirts.com, put podcast guest in the subject line, and then it'll find its way to me. Be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area, but still feel connected to the tri-state. Maybe they went to school here or used to work here or moved out. Today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing, who are actually from Philadelphia. You can find all their music on iTunes or Spotify or wherever else you get your music, so do uh, give those guys some coin. Find vintage teas from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, and Philadelphia. Uh, and more, actually, at OldSchoolShirts.com. We have a lot of defunct teams, old shopping centers, restaurants, radio stations, kind of like Cincy shirts, but for those towns. And to see, in case you missed it, the promo code for this episode is CONSERVATION. Uh, you can use the capitals, lowercase, you can mix them, capital and lowercase, doesn't matter. It should work either way. Use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com 
or OldSchoolShirts.com order, or you can use the code in our physical brick and mortar stores in Over the Rhine, Hyde Park, and Loveland. Simply walk in and say, I'd like to use the code CONSERVATION, and they'll take 20% off your order. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest NC Shirts news. Again, tell your friends about the show, give us a review wherever you get the podcast from, and as always, download or stream us next time. Bye. I said goodbye. I wish I said goodbye.